Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, May 26th, another fantastic day of NCAA individual action in the books. We had eight wonderful quarterfinal matches. Now, seven of them were straight set results, but that does not mean the quality of play was diminished in any sort of way. And in fact, our 1-3 setter may have been the best match I have seen throughout my two weeks here in Orlando. Of course, it was 2019 singles champion Estela Perez-Soma-Riba coming back from a set and 5-1 down to advance to the semifinals. I want to talk about that match, all of our singles quarterfinal matches, recap where we're at heading into our night sessions of quarterfinal doubles and of course give you all a preview of what to expect the rest of the way now I do also want to point out we are well aware here at Crack Rackets the French Open it's like four days away and as such we know you listeners want to hear about that action you may be done with this college tennis season ready to move on we aren't quite yet ready to do that here at Crack Rackets but rest assured we can do more than one thing at a time and so later tonight you're going to hear a podcast with myself Ben Rothenberg offering our thoughts on where the next-gen ATP players stand heading into this French Open. Gil Gross is going to join me later in the week to break down the top challengers to Rafael Nadal, as well as answer the question of, you know, how confident are we that Rafa's just going to win another French Open here this year? And then, of course, Mark Lucero, our usual host of guests, Jamie McDonald, going to be joining me to breaking down the draw, doing all the other fun things we do to help prepare you for the year's second Grand Slam. Of course, the reason we are able to host this podcast day in day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners from our crack rackets patreon family worth noting as it is the home stretch of this ncaa season uh you know coaches starting to file out players starting to file out as well but you know i continue to be so grateful for all of you who have come up said hello express your fandom of the podcast it means the world to us here at crack rackets and some of you have asked what's the best way for me to help moving forward to be honest it would be to go to our website crackrackets.com become a member of our Patreon family because, you know, again, we're trying to provide content to all of you listeners day in, day out, week in, week out. It means the world to you, that's, uh, to us, that so many of you have already chosen to support us. You can find the links to everything again on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, the other reason we're able to do this mini-break podcast day in, day out is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports, who I know go by Tennis Point now, and that's a conversation for a different time, but I've been told the promo code, the website to offer all of you remains the same. So, if you need to update your equipment, you can find all of the best gear at all of the best prices by going to MidwestSports.com. You use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, 
Let's talk about the singles action we saw here this morning. Again, Wednesday is quarterfinal day here at the USTA National Campus in Lake Nona. It's been such a pleasure for me to be on the broadcast for our friends at the Tennis One app. Was able to call all eight of these singles matches Han Solo, and as we sometimes do on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, it was a little bit of a red zone feature. We were jumping around trying to catch as much of the action of each of the matches as we could But I think we all agree the match I'd have to start with today is the fact that number two seed defending NCAA Women's Singles Champion Estela Perez-Somariba of Miami able to come back from 7-6-5-1 down in her match against second-year freshman sensation Abby Forbes of UCLA to earn a victory and advance for the second consecutive year to the semifinals look. This was a match of momentum swings, and it's worth noting Abby Forbes did a little bit of a comeback herself in that first set. Stella served for the—well, first of all, she was up 4-1 in the first, raced out to an early lead on Forbes, but then, as Abby Forbes so often does, she worked her way physically back into the match, just made a million balls, made the match a track meet, and we all know my fascination with Forbes, her defensive skills, her ability to hit that backhand out of the corner in particular, so, so, so special. And when she is stretched, it's not just, you know, slices out of the corner. It's not just loopy moon balls that she's hitting a million miles in the air to try and get the point back to neutral. No, she is actually purposefully, you know, elevating that ball 15, 20 feet over the net, getting such great depth, such great topspin as well to get the point back to neutral. And then every so often, she'll hit a laser down the line when you least expect it. She works her way back to four all now. Stella got the break at four all, four, five, four. She served for the set, actually had two set points up 40-30, but again, Forbes able to take a backhand return early down the line, get you to deuce, and then they play a long point, ends with a Stella error 4-5 all. Of course, Stella got the break right back, served for it again, 4-6-5, but this time no deuce point, no set point. Abby Forbes sends us to a breaker. The first seven points of that tiebreaker were won by the returner. That's crazy. That speaks to, again, the importance of getting that first strike in being the aggressor. And you could see, you know, the Miami head coach, uh, the Miami coaching staff in general, Just it wasn't just, you know, Miami head coach, of course, Paige. I'm blanking on her last name, as so I so frequently do. Again, there's a lot of names I've been throwing. It's Paige. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but Paige was standing right there. You know, Paige just kept saying, focus on that first strike, focus on that first ball. But it didn't matter in that first set because Forbes kept attacking. She was able to come up with the one big serve. I'm pretty sure only two points were won on serve in the breaker, both of them by Abby Forbes. She takes a 7-5 first set decision. And then look, it's like 90, 95 degrees out here, for lack of a better term. It's hot. I don't know how else to say it. These are brutal conditions, and you saw it in a couple of matches. We'll get to the men's side, but Liam Draxel's able to take a first set over Gabriel DeCamps. DeCamps went away after that, and you see a lot of lopsided second sets when we'll get to the scoreboards across the way because it was just really, really difficult to find the the motivation, I suppose. You're already a quarterfinalist, already an All-American to find that motivation to fight back in these 90, 95-degree heat, but... You know, credit to Stella Perez Mariba. She goes down seven six five one, and it was funny because there was like a fifteen. Uh, I think it was a love fifteen, maybe even a love thirty point. Look, Stella missed the ball wide, but Abby Forbes, again, sportsmanship, she probably also thought to herself, you know what, I've got this match in the bag. She calls it in. Stella wins the point fifteen thirty. She ends up holding for five two, and you know, I'm telling you. 
after she got that hold, watching the match, it just felt like she was not out of this because Stella had the bigger weapon. She was the aggressor throughout the course of this match, taking her forehand early, taking that ball down the line, and whenever you know Forbes would throw those 15, 20 uh, feet above the net loopy balls, she started taking them out of the air, hitting them as swim- swinging volleys, just trying to beat Forbes to the spot. Again, she was the aggressor, and you know, 5-1 became 5-2. Then Forbes gets broken for 5-3, whatever. That happens, but you think to yourself, okay, I've still got a return game, I've still got a game to hold, and I believe in that 5-3 return game, Abby Forbes gets to at least one, maybe two match points. I think it was a deuce point she had at 5-3, but... Stella comes up with a good first serve, a good first strike. She ends up fighting that one off. And then, you know, it's 5-4 now. Abby Forbes is serving for the match, having lost three consecutive games. And you could just feel the momentum had shifted. The confidence for Stella Perez-Soma was back. And look, EPS is a fighter. You don't win a national championship without having that skill set, without being able to come from down and out. And you look for Stella. She's lost like two matches in her last 35 college matches. You look for her this season in terms of what she was able to accomplish. She was so, so special throughout the year. She only lost two matches all season long. She goes 19-2. and uh, Her two losses on the year, I believe one of them was to Sarah Davatilla, but that was in a third set breaker. So Honestly, you can throw that one out the window. The other one, she lost 6-4 to Kenya Jones at Georgia Tech uh, in, I believe, the end of February. Like, okay, so you lose a match to Kenya Jones, who's a top 10 player in the country. You lose to Sarah Davatilla, who's a fellow NCAA semifinalist, your number one seed here this week, and, you know, again, still alive. And that's just a testament to how good Stella has been, her fight, her tenacity. I believe she only played, let's look, one three-set match, two, three, four. She's played five three-set matches this season. That's it. The rest are straight set victories because both of her losses came in those three set matches. And just, again, she's not going anywhere. And you could just feel the momentum had shifted again at 5-3. Forbes just... You could tell she got tentative. She was playing not to lose. She wasn't playing to win. She wasn't taking that ball early on the rise. And she has, you know, these big, loopy, circular ground strokes. But her ability to get outside the ball, create angle, create depth, that's one of her most special traits. Uh, obviously, she earns, uh, you know, again, she put herself in a position fighting back from that first set deficit to win the first. She put herself in a position to win this match. But the second Stella took that second set, you could just feel it. Uh-oh. The energy has changed. It is very much in the on the racket of EPS. And look, in the first four games of the third set, there were four deuce points. Stella takes three of them. Forbes only able to win the one. Stella then holds four four one. It is worth noting Stella uh, or Abby took this ball early on the deuce point because it was a three one, I believe, deuce point. Or maybe it was the 4-2 deuce point. No, no, no. It was a 3-1 deuce point because that's definitely what set her off. 3-1 deuce point. So I guess they played deuce points in their first five games. She hits this ball down the line. It was out from my vantage point. And to be honest, I was right on the line. But there was a little bit of a mix-up because Abby appealed to the chair umpire. And it looked as though he had put his hand out to call the ball in. In reality, he was pointing to the sideline referee who was standing right there as if to say, well, what did you see? You're on that line. And the sideline umpire confirmed it was wide. Again, having been on that line one, two inches at most, but it did look a little bit wide. And you know that kind of woke Forbes up. 
And she ends up holding at love, I believe, 4-4-2. Then they play another close game. Uh, EPS able to escape for that 5-2 hold. Forbes holds for 5-3. Now EPS is serving out the match. And this was a match that featured, I think, let's look overall in the match. How many breaks of serves were there in this one in total? You look, yeah, there were over 12 breaks of serve in this match. That's a testament, again, both of these players so close. Uh, But ultimately, EPS able to serve that match out. You know, again, played a great aggressive tennis down the stretch and you could hear coach page focus on that first strike focus on that first strike she did and she earns the comeback victory of the tournament six seven seven five six three to knock out abby forbes and look is abby forbes gonna feel this match tonight is she gonna be furious about the result there's no denying that but I mean, this A, we, I said it all day on the broadcast, it felt like a changing of the guard sort of day. You had Emma Navarro, freshman, cruising to the semifinals. Janice Chin, the freshman sensation out of Oregon, who we'll talk about in a second, cruising over Anna Rogers. Was Abby Forbes going to be another technically freshman here at this NCAA tournament because it's the first one she played getting over the finish line? The answer was no. Estela Perez-Somariba, too good down the home stretch. She earns the three-set victory and, again, keeps her title defense alive now. This match went three hours. And how much she has left in the tank, that's the question because she's played Peyton Stearns, Texas uh, freshman sensation. She has played... Uh, as well, you know, um, who'd she play yesterday? Alexa Graham, a fellow senior of UNC. Now she plays a three-set, three-hour battle against Abby Forbes. That's a lot of tennis for the defending champion. But look, these are the best of the best athletes. I think she's going to be ready to go. I expect her to give Janice Chen the fight of her life. And look, for Janice Chen, that's a name that came out of nowhere. Maybe it shouldn't have. I should have been playing closer attention because Chen's a former, you know, top 40 ITF junior in the world. What was her record this season for the Oregon Ducks? And by the way, she's the first Oregon Duck in history to make the NCAA women's singles semifinals. She's 18-2 and this year, folks. This is no fluke. And you count her now, what is it, her three wins here. I think that's four, round of 64, round of 32, round of 16, quarterfinals. That's some quick math for you. That's four victories for her here. So now she's 22-2. and Her two losses, she lost four and six to Solomar Colling uh, of San Diego at San Diego. She also lost to Abby Forbes. That's it. She beat Michaela Gordon. She beat Haley Giovara. She beat Vanessa Wong of Washington. She beat Haley Giovara again in the Pac-12 tournament. She's an absolute stud. And she took it to Anna Rogers today, who I will say, you know, again, some of these players for her, this was Anna Rogers, I think, seventh now match in eight days. She had the final off, but that's it because her Wolfpack made the semifinals. Um, yeah, that's... You could see, and she's also still alive in the doubles as well, but Chen just took it to her. She raced out to a 6-2 first set, and again, it's she can do a little bit of everything. An aggressive baseliner moves really well, just took the ball off Roger's racket. I am fascinating to see Janice Chen compete against EPS because, again, Stella's going to be feeling it. You could tell, and she just the way Stella celebrated that victory, it felt like such a huge win for her. She spent so much emotional, physical energy getting back into that match. And I apologize, you're going to hear some walkie-talkies. You may hear some background noise as I'm hidden away in an office uh, with all of these walkie-talkies. Okay, someone's headed to the side gate. That's good news to hear. But, you know, again, overall... Um, Janice Chen's a stud. I think that matchup is very much upset alert for Stella, especially if she's feeling it physically. Again, it's another noon match time. It's going to be played under the heat of the sun. That one's going to be a battle, folks, and I am all too excited to watch it unfold. But the match of the day tomorrow, 
whenever you get a number one versus a number three seed, I mean, that's what we want as college tennis fans. And we have that in Sarah Davatilla taking on Emma Navarro. Worth noting, we said it all season long, the ACC Women's Conference so much better than the rest of Division One women's tennis. Well, they've got three of your four singles semifinalists in Stella Perez, Somariba, Sarah Davatilla, and now Emma Navarro. Let's start with Navarro. Two-in-one win over LSU's Paris Corley, who of course made some program history herself, but that match was over in legitimately 61 minutes, and if you take out the time for warm-up, that match was under an hour, and just Navarro's forehand, her aggressive, she hits it as heavy with as much topspin as you're going to see in the college game, and you know, again, she's lost one match all season long, has Emma Navarro. It was a match, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, uh, to Stella Perez-Somariba in three sets when they played at Miami in April. Uh, you know, she was also probably going to use to lose to Kat Jokic in the team duel 5-3, but she's cruised. And unless you have a weapon to hurt her with, unless you can make her play on her back foot and, you know, again, uh, get her playing defensive tennis, force her to move side to side because, you know, Navarro's a good, not great mover yet. And she does most of her play while dictating. She tries to be the aggressor, taking the ball early. Um, You know, you have to do that against her if you want to have success. And, you know, we get a fantastic rematch as well because in Sarah Davatella, she plays someone who actually meets those qualifications, right? Davatella takes every ball early. It's low. It's flat. She's an aggressive baseliner. She's going to do everything in her power to hit through that ball and, again, be the aggressor, be on her front foot. And look, this is a refrain I commonly say when I'm on uh, the broadcast. I've never seen Sarah Davatilla lose in person, and I've only seen her play high-stakes match, undefeated uh, matches, excuse me, undefeated at the 2020 National Indoors, undefeated at the 2021 Indoors, undefeated in the team event this year as well. And look, her and Navarro played a three-set battle back in April. Davatilla actually trailed Navarro 5-4 in the third set, but I believe they were answered. So again, that to pick him because to beat Davatilla, you got to keep her on your back, her on her back foot. But even when you do, she just those ground strokes so compact, so precise, and her ability to take uh, to take the ball early and take that return of serve early, and again just kind of impose her will, do what she wants to do uh, during the matches. That's exactly what she did today in her six two six four win over Christina Roska, the fellow fifth year senior out of Vanderbilt. And look, it was six two five two. Roska made her push, but then Davatella steadied the ship, holds at fifteen earns a spot in the semifinals. Again, my big take, my bold take coming into the day was that North Carolina is not going to leave Orlando without an NCAA championship where they're down to just two, or I suppose three survivors in Davatilla, in the doubles duo of Jones and Scotty, and in the doubles duo of Blumberg and Cernok because Will Blumberg's college career in singles at least has been ended by Adrian Boitan, and with that in mind, let's transition into the men's results again. It's going to be Navarro versus Davatilla tomorrow, uh, Perez Somariba versus Janice Chen. All of those matches going to be fantastic, and our men's matches should be excellent as well, especially if this is how Adrian Boitan plans on playing in the rest of the way here. And it's been seven consecutive days of tennis for Boitan, and I want to say he's gone three sets in six of those seven days. The one he didn't was today a 6-4-6-1 win over Blumberg. We say it all of the time here. 
there's the Boitan zone where he has that sort of power. First of all, it's the it's that jet plane taking off sound effect, right? Where it's like FAA, where it's like Rublev. You hear the ball come off of his rack, and you're just like, that sounds different than everyone else. And I was watching him yesterday with my guy, former Michigan tennis player, now IMG stud Carter Lynn, and we were just watching. And you're just like, whoa. How hard does he swing? Like, it's sometimes it does hit the back fence, let's be clear, but when he's connecting with the ball, playing his best tennis, it looks as good, if not better, than any player in the nation. And Boitan today was just better than Blumberg. Like, he forced Blumberg to be on his back foot. He did not miss first serves when he needed to put them in the court. And in particular, again, a 6-4-6-1 decision. I don't know if Blum had a breakpoint chance in the first set. I don't think he did. Uh, But he did have two early deuce points in Boitan's first two service games of that second set. And Boitan, big serve, big backhands down the line, got the job done. And this backhand down the line return winner that Boitan went uh, hit to take a 5-1 lead in the second set was just silly. And you could see Will kind of be like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, if he can play this well, he should beat me today. And that was the case. Adrian was just on his front foot. He was swinging freely, swinging confidently again. I talked to him before the match. I'm like, how much you got left in the legs, big guy? And he goes, oh, I'm fine. I'm fresh, Alex. And he was kind of being facetious, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was being dead honest because, again, for him to fight off those two early break points, he was sensational. And the question just becomes, how much does he have left in the tank? Because he's going to face a guy now in Daniel Rodriguez, who ends the singles career of Ale- and career of Alexander Kovacevic, college career, I should say, with a straight set victory himself. You look for Rodriguez, it was, I believe, a 6-1, 6-3 win over Kova. I mean, he was just dominant. And it's funny because... I think it was opening game. He broke Kova right away to start, took a 2-0 lead, and then Kova had breakpoint chances to get it back to 2-1-2-all uh, and had breakpoint chances early in the third set and throughout the third set, but it just felt like Rodriguez was able to continue to come up with big serves, big forehands whenever he needed to to earn the victory. And look, Kovacevic rolled his ankle badly in the, sem- uh, in the round of 16, and you could tell his movement, it wasn't too hampered, but it wasn't the typical Kovacevic. I don't think he could find that second, third, fourth gear he so frequently found this season because, again, he's got a lot of tennis on his body this season and, you know, played a physical match against Galarno in the round of 16. Not that Rodriguez didn't against Kukerman, and I'm not trying to make excuses for my boy, but Rodriguez found big first serves whenever he needed to find them. He found big forehands whenever he needed to find them. He plays a pro-style game, and, you know, he's got Coach Goffey, my guy in his corner. He was excellent. And Rodriguez Boitan, again, that's another change the balls every three, four games because they're going to hit the cover off of them. And, you know, again, it kind of pains me because A, Chris Halioris, as we all know, but B, he's our SEC correspondent. He's just going to be so gleeful uh, to know that there are three SEC players in the single semifinals, of course, in Rodriguez, in our other half of the draw, Draxel and Riffis, who we'll get to in a second. But Rodriguez can damn win this thing. And he's damn likely to win this thing. And I doubted Daniel Rodriguez all season long. I thought it was an SEC bump. I didn't think... He was that impressive when I saw him in person at the 2020 indoors, but that's my mistake. That's an unforced error by me. I'm holding my hand up as if to say, sorry, that one's on me, Uh, because he's gotten so much better since that 2020 season. He really does play assertive, aggressive tennis, 6-4, big frame, plays to it. He took it to Kovacevic, you know, big serves into that Kova backhand. Kova sometimes gets a little swing happy, swinging for the fences on those returns, and he knows that. I'm not saying anything he doesn't know, and Kova's my boy, and for the record, 
I should do the full... I'm going to save it till after the season, A, because Will Blumberg's career is not done. That's why I'm not ready to do the post-mortem on Will Blumberg's college tennis career. But Kovacevic is everything you want in a college tennis story. A guy who played five singles or four singles his freshman season and just got better and better and better throughout the course of his college tennis career and now is thoroughly prepared to go be a successful professional. That Cleveland Challenger semifinal we saw, that was no fluke run. And yes, those conditions were perfect for him. Slow indoor hard courts, but... He's pretty good on outdoor hard courts too, and I'm excited to see him play on the clay. I'm excited to just see his pro career get underway because, again, he's got the goods. It's not just me who raves about him. It's coaches here on the grounds. It's fellow professional players. The guy, I think he's got that it quality. I think he is going to become the best tennis player he can be. I think he is going to work that hard as well, do all of the little things right, but Rodriguez just beat him on this day, and again, Sad day that we no longer have Kovacevic in college tennis, but Rodriguez was the better player. He advances again that Boitan-Rodriguez match. It's all going to be first strike aggressive tennis. You lean Rodriguez just because eventually you think things catch up for Adrian Boitan. At the same time, it's an adrenaline rush. I mean, the guy has been sensational since the Bears arrived here in Orlando. He's gotten better and better as he's played this season. This is what, you know, again, dating back to when he first stepped on campus in Waco, all of his coaches have said, this is the guy. Just wait for him to be healthy. Wait for him to be fresh because we see how hard and just how good he is in practice. And once that translates to matches, look out rest of the college tennis universe. Rodriguez was sensational, 6-1-6-3. And again, he's going to have a fun one tomorrow against Adrian Boitan. I did a big Draxel, uh, I suppose, parabola, uh, parabola, a big parable. That's what I was looking for, parabola. I've been in the sun all day, folks. Cut me some slack. Westoff, leave that in. But I did a big Draxel parable at the beginning of the last podcast. I'll continue to say it. The guy competes better, if not, or as well, if not better, than any player in the nation. It's not pretty. You know, he doesn't have the huge surf. He doesn't have the huge forehand. But you're not hitting an approach shot winner on him. I promise you he's going to put some sort of passing shot on your body. And case in point, I think it was 6-all in the first set breaker between he and DeCamps. And, you know, 6-all, there's this ball, or excuse me, 7-6. It was the set point. Draxel uh, tracks down a good DeCamps approach shot, fires up a lob, and, you know, 99 out of 100 times, Gabriel DeCamps makes the overhead for a winner. But on this moment, in this scenario, with this sort of pressure, he shanks the overhand long. And... You know, what does Draxel do when he wins the first set? Tosses his racket as if he's just won Wimbledon, puts his hands in the air, lets out a huge, come on, to his Wildcat Nation. It was just, it's everything Liam Draxel is about. Again, for him to celebrate winning a first set in that fashion speaks to the moment, speaks to the energy level, the charisma, I suppose, of Draxel. He was excellent. And then DeCamps just sort of went away in that second set. And I have to say, Wildcat Nation, Big Blue Nation, who's here supporting Liam, uh, they've all been vociferous to say the least. They have brought the energy. They have given him that extra boost, provided him that bump that you would hope that, you know, again, you get if you have a crowd who sticks around, teammates who stick around. And they've got all three coaches here as well. And it was interesting to see uh, that it was uh, it was volunteer assistant Peter Kobelt on the court with Draxel, coaching him through everything. Of course, Kobelt, a former standout Ohio State Buckeye NCAA doubles finalist, just seems to be communicating so well with Draxel, or at least was today. And just, again, 
He's going to track down your approach shot. He's a two-pass wizard in that he's that first pass. It's dipped low at your feet, and then you're not going to do enough with that second volley or with that first volley. And so he's going to put his second shot by you because you're going to have to guess because he is that quick. He will have that sort of additional time. And I can only imagine what the practice sessions looked like back in the day with FAA and Shapovalov smacking forehands and Alexi Galarno and Liam Draxel playing recovery, playing retreat, trying to track everything down themselves. A really, really fun contrast of styles, but again, this was the first time in this tournament Liam Draxel had won a first set. He dropped the first set uh, in his opening match against John McNally, saved match points. Dropped the opening set against Axel Neve, comes back to wins in three. Drops the opening set to Adam Walton, faced match points in the third set as well before winning that one seven five. He's a survivor. That's what Liam Draxel does. You legitimately, you have not beaten him until you've won the last point. He's not going anywhere. The energy he brings, the tenacity, that's everything college tennis is supposed to be about. Straight set win for him over DeCamps. And now he faces a guy in Sam Riffis who is just riding that wave of confidence. He goes down an early break to love, rips off 12 of the next 13 games, 6-3-6-0 win over Vashro. And look, Vashro kind of lost the thread. In the second set, you could tell he just he wasn't feeling it on this day, whether it's his legs, whether it was just, again, mentally, is he worn down? I don't know, uh, but Riffis was not. And again, the better the competition, the bigger you hit, the better the Sam Riffis we're going to see. The backhand was working, the variety was working, his ability to move forehand. Obviously, the serve, the forehand can hang with anyone. There's a reason Mike Cation feels so fondly about Sam Riffis. Mike doesn't give his stamp of approval to just anyone. He does give it to Riffis. He thinks Riffis has that pro upside. So do I. I mean, he was the best kid in his recruiting class forever. He was one of the top juniors in the U.S. forever. He's been a USTA guy forever. And he's only a third-year sophomore. So technically, he could do this two more times. But by the way, if you're an American tennis fan, he's the one guy left competing for that U.S. Open wild card. And tomorrow, again, he's going to take on Draxel. That's a fantastic fantastic contrast of styles and look Riffis is going to take the bait Riffis is going to try to approach try and move forward get to the net as frequently as possible and I really do don't think Draxel's going to be able to play the sort of survival tennis he did against Walton last round or against McNally in the first round he's gonna have to be more decisive gonna have to take his chances but look Draxel's only lost like two times here this season and Sam Riffis you look for him I think he's only lost like four times this season both of them are hot Again, Riffis has played now seven matches in seven days, much like Boyton. How much does he have left in the tank? Is it just pure adrenaline at this point? I don't know. I would point out again, they're 18 to 22-year-old kids. They're borderline professional athletes. I think they're going to be okay. I don't think the quality of tennis is going to suffer tomorrow, particularly Riff has also won that match in like an hour and five minutes, so he's got plenty of time to rest up. That match is going to be a doozy, folks. It should be a super Super exciting day of men's singles. And again, Riffis taking on Draxel on the left side of your draw. On the right side of your draw, it's going to be Boitan taking on Rodriguez. That's where we're at with the singles. Now, a quick update on doubles before I have to go back and hop on Tennis One for tonight's doubles session on Crowdview Live, which, of course, all of you can join me for. You look where we're at in these doubles draws Fairly chalk, I would say thus far. You look, I mean, in particular on the men's side, I mean, Blumberg and Cernok survived last night in advancing over the USF team. And to be honest, I thought USF played really, really well in that match. And, you know, my boy Noah, Chris Helios, his nephew, who always brings the noise, he was 
without question, an influence in that match. He frustrated the hell out of UNC associate head coach Trip Phillips, and I can understand why, but... I mean, Blumberg and Cernok survive in, I think it was a 10-6 third set breaker, and now they're going to play Lon Franzen, who were down a set four, and they were down a set, down 4-3 on serve, 15-40, uh, and then they made a call that Hud and Boatsel didn't like. I didn't see the call. I know Connie Franzen. That's my guy. I happen to give him the benefit of the doubt from there. You know, the Bears flip the script. They take a 6-4 set. They take the breaker 10-8. Sven Law has found his rhythm. Connie's going to hit big serves, big returns, get to the net, play aggressive tennis. He was awesome. And, you know, that's a really fun match. Baylor versus UNC. And guess what? Blumberg, a little ticked off after losing singles. I can expect him. He lose to one Baylor Bear. He's going to bring some frustration tonight. Go after these Baylor Bears. I'm expecting a big result from Blumberg and Cernok there. But again, that's a fun battle. My guys, Adam Walton uh, and uh, Pat Harper, they continue to rock and roll. So fundamentally sound in their straight set win over McDaniel and Martin. Once they took that first set breaker, that match did sort of feel over. And now... You know, they're going to take on a South Alabama team that's yes to drop a set, and they got wins over Ingleson and Grant, Hilton and Pavel. You know, now you look at this team, Marzol and Clois, uh, and Clois, excuse me. That's a fun matchup, and I would say they probably have the bigger weapons, but again, Walton Harper get to the net so quickly, two up. They do everything you expect a professional doubles team to do. That's going to be a fun one. Smith and Kuki can win the damn thing. They knock off Gray and Famba yesterday. There were only two breaks of serves in the match. It was 6-3-6-4 for them. And, you know, I told Alistair this in the moment. 5-4-30-40 in the Riley Smith service game. Uh, You know, there was a tight call on the alley. It was clearly out. Three, four inches. Now, Riley was a little bit late in calling the ball, but that's because it was a slow landing and it kind of curved back in, but it was clearly out. And again, Smith and Kuki take that in straights. They now take on the, I believe, Auburn duo of Merget and McLean, who survived yesterday in a third set breaker over McCormick and Navy. And then it's, you know, the Pepperdine duo. Denu Den, Oatsbeck, who were excellent against Bride and Zing, particularly in the third set breaker, 10-4. They take on the pride of Minnesota men's tennis. Minnesota men's tennis ain't dying yet, folks. 4-6-6-3-10-4 win for them over number one seeds. Finn Reynolds, Tim Sancolin of Ole Miss. Again, that team, adrenaline, emotion, they play aggressive, they get up to the net, try and take it to you. I'm rooting for Minnesota men's tennis to survive as long as possible. I am rooting honestly for them to win the NCAA doubles tournament because what a shame it would be and what a pox on Minnesota's athletic department if they were to cut the program after earning an NCAA championship. One would hope that they may reconsider if such a thing happens. I'm not saying I've heard anything to suggest that they might, but what a narrative that would be. That would be a huge deserved slap in the face to Minnesota. And honestly, I hope to watch Trucin Loback administer that slap because that's the sort of things I could get behind. Now, in terms of the women's doubles, I've said it before. I think the team of Smith and Rogers are as good, if not better, than anyone in the nation. They're just so aggressive. There's so much length, wingspan between them, the way they get up to the net. They survive 10-7 in a third over Beck and Barankova. But, you know, to be honest, they now face, they're not the number one seeds. They just beat the number one seeds. But in my opinion, the team that actually is playing the best, uh, excuse me, the team that has looked as good as any, they were, I think, number one in the country last year. They're back together for this individual event. Bolton Harton, uh, Bolton and Hart, I said Bolton Harton. Hey, great shot. That shows, again, I've been in the sun all day. But Bolton and Hart, uh, you know, three and two victory for them. They advanced to uh, the quarterfinals over the number one seeds from Kentucky. And honestly, they were just better than them from start to finish. And the 
the power of both of them. Alicia Bolton, the power she possesses, the big serve, big returns. Jada so quick, such good hands at the net. And then, you know, Jada puts so many balls in play from a returning standpoint. And, you know, Alicia is so aggressive and can hit big at the net as well. I just, I really like that duo. That's a fun one. Jones and Scotty of UNC are 2-0 against Munera and Subash of Virginia, who they play now. And for Jones and Scotty, it's been third set victories both of the ways. It was a 14-12 and an 11-9 tiebreak victory for them. So, you know, they're halfway there. They're living on a prayer. But I guess when the momentum's hot, when the mic is hot, you keep rolling. So that could be a fun one here tonight. Goldsmith and Makarova of Texas A&M are going to take on a fellow Virginia team of Navarro and Rosie Johnson. Emma Navarro, by the way, the only player left who can win the double crown, both the singles and the doubles. They've looked good. Straight set victory for them last night over the Corleys of Oklahoma. And then... Look, the hottest team right now in all of women's college tennis is the duo of Lulu Sun, Kylie Collins. They have more firepower than you, more aggression than you, and they're going to make as many returns as you do as well. They face Garcia and uh, Nandini Das of Florida State. I mean, Collins' son beat Cam Moore and Sarah Davitella 0-1 last night. Are you kidding me? What are we doing here? They are sensational. Uh, they're my favorites right now. I know I just said Smith and Rogers. I think the win- I think it's going to be Collins and Son versus the winner of Bolton Hart, Smith and Rogers here tonight. That's how confident I am in these Texas freshmen. Who again, yes, they played a ton of tennis down the home stretch of the 2021 college tennis season. They obviously won the national championship, but it's also doubles, and so you're a little less concerned than you would be in singles. And again, they're hot right now. They just there's a confidence to them, a swagger to them. They're beating everyone. They look damn good. So again, Collins, Son, straight set winners, 0-1 over the number two seeds. And honestly, Bolton and Hart, Collins and Son, they upset the one and two seeds, but they could have been the one and two seeds. And so it shaped it up to be a really fun home stretch of this NCAA individual tournament. Now, again, we have been focused on the college action here on the mini break podcast. Rest assured, French Open preview content it's coming. Ben Rothenberg lined up for the podcast. Gil Gross lined up for the podcast. Mark Lucero, our usual cast of characters, all lined up to help prepare you all for the year's second Grand Slam. But look, we're going to milk the end of this college tennis season for all it's worth. I am down here on the grounds in Orlando through the end. And again, you can catch me on the broadcast for all of these matches on the Tennis One app. Uh, a shout out again to our friends Kristen Gear, Randy Randissimo Master, Jordan, Laura, Rachel, all of them for endorsing all of my habits. A huge shout out to them all. But, you know, again, with that in mind, it's time for me to go get on that broadcast. So I will remind all of you to follow all of the content. Go to our website, crackrackets.com. The immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at crackrackets. You want to message me directly? I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. But if you go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, it will still help you find the best equipment at all of the prices. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 